so this is episode 10, finally in double digits. And I'm going to be talking to Catherine Burblesing, who is headmistress at Michaela. And this was a really interesting and challenging episode for me because I think Catherine and I have quite different politics and perspectives, but I really wanted to explore her mindset around education to provide context for her work because having now visited Michaela, I do think that there's something really interesting and special going on there. So I can't wait to hear what you guys think. Let's get into it. So I am joined by Catherine today and I'm very excited because I'm in Michaela School and I have loads of things I want to talk to you about but I suppose the first thing is that I feel like I see you on social media okay Mm -hmm. and I am aware that I've developed this kind of impression of you from that so I kind of wanted to feed some of that back to you and then that's really, I suppose, the rationale partly behind wanting to talk to you is actually, you know, just that connection in terms of um, finding out a little bit more about you to provide context for your work, really. Yeah. Um, so I suppose from social media, I've kind of developed this this sense of you being very intelligent. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, precise as well about your vision for education. Mm-hmm. Um but also, uh, I think I've seen other people respond to you in, in quite a divided way sometimes. And, and yeah. that, that's always interesting, I think, with, with ideas and people. Um, but I suppose for people that might not be aware of you or, or what you do, mm-hmm. it would be quite, be quite nice to kind of just hear your description of, of what you do in your work. Okay. Well, I'm Catherine Bribble Singh and I'm the headmistress of Michaela. Uh, Michaela is a free school. It opened up in September 2014. It took us three years or so to open it up. Um, a free school is like uh, the charter schools in America, uh, but they've been going in Britain since 2010. And in America, they've been there for you know 30 odd years. Um, they're different in that uh, the money comes uh, directly from central government to the school instead of going through the council in the first place. Uh, and the idea is that they are free. And when we say free, we mean free in terms of thought, that they can break out of the mold. Now, that doesn't necessarily happen with many free schools. Many free schools are very similar to lots of other schools. Um, I would say that Michaela is very different. Uh, we, we set out to be different, I suppose. And, um, and we call, cause controversy, controversy precisely because we are different. Um, we now have years 7 through to 11. Uh, so this August will be uh, the first time we get GCSE results. And in September next year, we will open our sixth form for the first time. Um, we're in Wembley Park. We have an inner city intake, uh, which is very typical of the inner city. You know, so it's not unusual for uh, kids around here to carry knives. You know, there was a child, sadly, who was killed um, with a knife uh, around the corner. Um, gangs are an issue. Um the kind of normal stuff that uh, that uh, plagues the inner city, um, plagues this school, you know. Um, but uh, I, I believe we're doing an incredible job with the children here. Um, and, and I would say that's uh, partly because of the different approach that we take uh, to teaching. Mm. Um, and if, you know, we had to kind of put that in a bottle, what would we say? Well, um, I'd say our teaching methods are very different. So... We believe in teachers standing at the front uh, of the classroom. And I know that sounds odd because listeners may, may think, well, what do you mean? Obviously, the teacher stands at the front. But that isn't the case nowadays. In the last um, 50 or so years, uh, teaching has really transformed, I would say, in the West. Um, and teachers have become more what they call facilitators of learning, meaning that children are in groups working together. And the teacher will move around as a facilitator of learning amongst the groups and keep them on task, allowing the children to lead their own learning, as opposed to the teacher being at the front of the classroom and leading the class. Um, we very much believe that the teacher is in charge. I always say the teacher is driving the bus. Um, I always say children are too young to know how to drive, and we need to drive the bus, and they need to get on the bus with us, and we need to take them to said destination. Uh, so that's what um, 
that that's a big difference in terms of the way we teach. We, we believe very much in content as well, you know, so uh, teaching lots of content um, and people on the other side who you might say are progressives and we are traditionalists um, and the progressives, I mean, those are broad terms, but, you know, let's use them for the moment. The progressives might say, oh, but children uh, need to be analytical and, um, and they need to be creative. And, and we agree with that. We, we agree they need to be analytical and creative. But um, uh, how do they become that way? Uh, we would say through gaining lots of knowledge and then being analytical with that knowledge. So you don't just get them to rote learn. We would say that that's a bit of a straw man, that it, 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 it's never the case that you just get kids to rote learn a bunch of stuff and that's it. Uh, you might have some rote learning as part of their learning, but uh, lots of it is about taking the knowledge and doing something with it. Um, and that's really important. Uh, and if you don't have knowledge as the focus in your lesson, it tends to be reduced to a minimum. And if, if skills are your focus, you end up with a child who is not that skilled in the end, ironically. So you, you're teaching skills, but they don't end up that mm. skilled. Whereas if you make knowledge your focus, that's when you end up with a really skilled child. So, I mean, I can get into that more detail, but that's essentially it in a nutshell for, for, for teaching and knowledge. Um, and then we would also say that uh, behavior is a really big thing that uh, identifies Michaela. So we believe that uh, children uh, should be obedient. You know, we don't shy away from the word obedience, you know, uh, children are children. They expect um, and hope that their teachers will give them boundaries and structures um, so that they can feel safe in school, uh, safe to put their hand up and answer a question in class, safe physically in the corridors and so on. So uh, we have very high standards when it comes to behavior. Uh, that's the other thing. And then the last thing I'd say that really identifies us is... Um, uh, the way in which we teach, we actively teach kindness and gratitude. Uh, we want children to understand the concepts of um, thanking other people. So you will have been at lunch today and you'll have seen them giving uh, appreciations publicly to each other and to their teachers, to their families. Um, we're constantly uh, talking about being grateful and uh, not taking things for granted and being kind to each other. Uh, our motto is work hard, be kind. And we think both are as important as each other to have a successful and happy life. Uh, we believe very much in the whole child and um, the kinds of people that they're going to become. So um, just now, I mean, I don't know if your listeners can hear, you know, outside in the in the yard, they've been outside playing. So there was this hubbub of noise behind us. And then um, the yard leader called it. And within 10 seconds, there was silence, you know. Um, now, you might find in other schools, uh, not all schools, but you might find that it would take a very long time to get silence uh, with a group of, you know, you've got a group of 300 children out there or more, and um, they've all gone silent with just a call, one mm. call, and they've all gone immediately silent. Uh, and then that means that they have extra time in their lessons so that they can catch up with their peers at private schools so that they can learn more. And I don't see that as a bad thing. So, um yeah, those are the things I think that define us. Uh, but, um, uh, well, we're doing this differently, partly so that we can transform the lives of the kids that we have here because we love them and we want to make their lives better. But um, also so that we can have impact on the educational uh, world out there. So we have guests every day here, anywhere between five to ten guests every day from across the country and across the world. And they come to see us because um, they want to see how we do things differently. And then they take ideas and they take them back to their schools and they implement them. And then they write to us and they say, my classroom's transformed or my school is so much better. And um, that's really exciting. So that's, that's our mission, to transform the lives of children here, but also to have impact on the educational world more generally. I, I arrived early and... I actually had quite an emotional experience at your reception. Right. Because there are these little blue folders, and in the blue folders are letters of, you know, thanks and, and mm -hmm. observation yeah. from people who have visited. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually, from my point of view, I, you know, I had zero expectation coming in about have, finding a folder of letters. They were, they were moving. They were really moving, like, you know, gushing, really mm -hmm. people talking about 
seeing things completely differently, um, you know, naming specific students and teachers. It was really, I found myself, you know, feeling, feeling moved as, as, as an educator. It was, yeah. it was a, a really cool way to, to start the, the visit, I suppose. Mm. Um, I, in terms of my kind of understanding of Michaela, it, it, it was an interesting one because I um, spoke to Joe Kirby when he was in the process of like thinking about ideas of, of being one of the founding teachers here, just you know, oh, right. yeah. through, through like informal conversations. And it was really interesting from my point of view before I knew what was to become this school and um, just the amount of thought that was going into how things wanted to be done. You know, mm-hmm. and and that that made me really intrigued, I suppose, um, because I, you know, I wonder how many schools experience uh, so that much thought. Um, I also was quite excited by the idea of, you know, that planning came, and then there was a kind of a clear start. You know, you got you got to create something from scratch. Yeah, and that's a real privilege. You know, the thing is, is that if you're trying to turn around a school, it's a much longer, much more difficult process. When you're starting up a school from scratch, you are able to gather together like-minded people. Um, and then every time anyone new comes in to the mix, they're kind of brought into the fold. So yeah. it's, it is it is much easier than trying to implement change somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've been very lucky from that perspective. Um, but it also brings along its own uh, challenges, setting up something new, uh, because it, well, you can have a lot of your detractors who try and, uh, and who try and hurt you when you're small, you're not as strong. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it's hard to kind of build a certain identity, but we've, we've managed to do that. Um, and you know, a lot of the things that you will have spoken about before we opened have changed, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people mistakenly often think that Michaela was created and then it's just been a certain way. And it really hasn't. Um, we have uh, changed our minds about all sorts of things uh, as we've gone along. Um, on a daily basis, I change my mind about tiny things, and then on a larger basis, I would say our values have always been the same. But um, uh, big things have changed at the school, I would say, uh, over the years, and um, that's because we're looking for what we believe is the right way to do it, mm. <laughs> and that requires having an open mind about. Uh, about what we're doing it's so funny isn't it like i feel like i hear people getting criticized for changing their mind Mm. and i've always viewed that as a like surely that is a good thing Mm. um you know being being overly rigid can't be a good thing yeah um but i i hear what you're saying i suppose from my point of view i oh those are our pips we're in a school it happens (laughs) Um, I've had uh, I, the funniest one was I had someone deliver a parcel oh, really? mid, mid-recording <laughs> um, it wasn't what the person wanted either it was a very very boring parcel <laughs> um, yeah I suppose I'm I'm curious about you arriving at this place of, of wanting to create this, mm. this school and I, and I suppose just thinking about your life, whether there was a particular moment where you were like, I want to do education. This is, this is me. Or maybe you never had that moment. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, well, you mean why I wanted to be a teacher? Well, um, I tell you, I was at Oxford and, um, university and, uh, I went along to one of these McKinsey drinks, you know, uh, when you go to Oxford or Cambridge, they do these kind of, like the big companies come in and do drinks for people to go along and find out about what it would be like to work at that company. And I went along and I was so horrified. (laughs) I just thought there is no way I could ever work in a place like this. I mean, there's just no way. And then I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I used to do, um, this, this kind of access stuff, which was really unusual. You know, I mean, in those days, this was early nineties. Um, I, it was very unusual then uh, and, and kind of brand new, um, the access work that we were doing. And we were going into schools and uh, so going into inner city schools like this mm. to talk to, um, at that time, it was mainly black and minority ethnic kids uh, about what it was like to be at Oxford. 
And the idea was to take black and ethnic minority uh, students at Oxford and send them into these schools to say, hey, well, look, I'm there. So if I'm there and, and, and I'm managing and thriving, then you can too. And um, I used to do this. I go to Manchester and Birmingham and London and so on. And um, I would talk to the kids and I would, um, at the beginning, the kids would be saying, oh, it's a bunch of snobs. I don't want to go there, etc." And at the end, they would be saying, oh, well, maybe I'll apply. Mm. And then I thought, wow, you can have real impact on these kids. You know, you can really change them and for the better. And um, I decided I, I would become a teacher. So that, that was what happened for me. And, um, you know, I've been in education ever since uh, leaving uh, university. And um, so I've been doing it a long time. And uh, I've taught in a variety of different places, always in London but, and always in a city but in, in different schools. Mm. And, um, and then in terms of setting up this school, in, twen- in 2010, I gave this uh, speech at the Conservative Party conference. Uh, and I was a bit naive and stupid. I didn't really know much about politics. And um, I got into a lot of hot water, uh, ended up without a job and was, you know, getting all sorts of hate mail and so on, you wouldn't imagine. And um, also getting a lot of people writing to me anonymously saying, Thank goodness you, somebody said something. Thank goodness somebody said that. had to be anonymous. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they they really would. They would. They, they were very clear. I'm not telling you who I am, you know, because uh, I too will be punished, you know, for for speaking the truth. So uh, that happened. I was told I would never work in the state sector again. This is by headhunters, people at TS and all sorts. I mean, I was just told, forget about it. You cannot ever work in the state sector again. Why do you think there was that view? Because I spoke at the Conservative Body Conference. Okay. Um, so uh, I then thought, what am I going to do? And I could have gone to the private sector, but I really didn't want to work in the private sector because those aren't the kids who I've been teaching all my life and who I really love. I mean, I'm nothing against the private sector and more power to them. I hope they have a great time, but it's not my, it's not for me. So I thought, well, how do I get back into working with disadvantaged kids? The only way I can do that is if I set up my own school. And that's what I did. So here we are. <laughs> that's that's why I did it. But it took me a very long time. Uh, as I say, you know, you have to gather together like-minded people, uh, which I managed to do. And the governors who are currently governors of the school, you know, a number of them were part of that first initial group of people who worked hard to set up the school. Mm. And it really was a struggle, big, big struggle, you know, when people come here and, and ask me and say, oh, you know, I want to set up a free school. What do you think? I always say, well, you know, get ready to give years of your life. This is going to be hell. Are you really ready for it? You know, Um, but we did it. Here we are, you know, here we are. And it's really, really exciting, really exciting that we've managed it and um, and that it's it's a real success. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. With it. Every time I walk around the school, I think, wow, look at this. You know? <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It is. It's a, it, it, I, I'm really proud of it. I'm really, I'm really thrilled with, um, with what we've managed to achieve. And, um, and it's only thanks to what all these people have given, you know, the various teachers here and the governors and the time that all of us have put into um, mm-hmm. making it work. When you were starting up, did you, I mean, maybe, maybe this is a, a naive question, but I felt like there was a real brand and I also felt like there were events, there was a book, mm-hmm. you know, it, it seemed like it was the, you know, the arrival of something. I suppose, I suppose I wonder if you got branding advice or, you know, whether that, like, I, mean, I don't really know how it works running a school or starting a school. Yeah. Well, that's me. I mean, um, it's funny because, um, I'm always laughing about this. I'm like, well, I should have gone into PR or I should have gone into marketing because uh, I am our marketing person, you know, like, um, uh, which is kind of crazy seeing as I have no background in this at all. But it is true that I did think to myself at the beginning, uh, we have to, um, if we want people to know what we do and if we want to have impact, we need to get out there mm. and we need to, because it is partly about the kids that we've got, and it absolutely is, you know, we, we give them everything. But we are also wanting to have impact on the larger educational sphere. So um, that's what we've done. And, and, and we've done that a lot through social media, uh, getting out there and talking about it. We mm. did these conferences. Mm. And, yeah, 
I mean, the conferences were about getting us on the map, um, getting the ideas out on the map. So like the first conference we had was were debates. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, which which didn't even involve our teachers. There were there were people we oh, invited right. in. Really? externals to have debates huh. um and the idea was let's talk about is mixed ability the right way of teaching or is you know i can't i can't remember the other the other titles but they were big uh ideas in education let's mm. talk about these ideas and then it grew from that and became more about our teachers talking about what we did here um and you know we'd probably do another one but it's been more difficult in terms of time mm. uh we've got gcse's coming and so on but um the book as well was about putting us on the map and just uh, letting people know what we do. Um, and also, I've always been really keen for people to understand that the school isn't just me. You know, there's a whole bunch of people who work here. Um, and I wanted to give them a voice. Um, and through the book, we were able to do that. And through the mm. conferences, we were able to do that. Different teachers would get up and give a talk. Um, and in fact, now, it's a little bit, a little bit less about the teachers and more about me because you come and do a podcast and you do it with me. You know, mm. uh, I tend to go off and do conferences and things and whatever it is. Um, and so uh, I would like to bring more of a staff voice back on the table really, uh, because it really isn't just me. It, it is all the staff here who are incredible and really committed and hardworking and also, um, brave. You know, they're really brave that they are willing to do things differently and to think in a different manner. You know, it always takes a certain amount of bravery to be able to do that kind of thing. And, and all of the staff here are, are really brave. So, yeah, it, it'd be nice to find another way in which I can make sure that their voices get heard because, mm. uh, because they have interesting things to say. <laughs> yeah. I, so at lunch, I was sat at a table mm-hmm. um, and... You know, I was I was struck by students, but you know, I, I've read accounts of other visits, and I and I knew that you know I would be impressed. But um, I was struck by the teachers, as in 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 that you know half an hour. I, I don't know, mm. you know, there was a performative element of, mm. of call and response chanting, mm-hmm. and it was you know a hundred percent. And I just I thought, wow, that you know that they are giving energy yeah they're, they're committed and this is lunch yeah you know um so that, that was quite striking yeah um yeah i so i i googled um your writings because for some reason i i, mis- I misremembered that you'd written a book on race i, I don't know i don't know where i got that from um i don't know if you're like race. I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> um but i did i did find um a fiction book yeah 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 and I, and I suppose I wondered whether you felt that writing served a function for you, kind of aside from producing like a, a piece. Yeah. Uh, when I was teaching, um, yeah, I used to write things. I just quite enjoyed writing. So I used to write stuff and then I wrote that book and, and then I started writing this blog. So I didn't explain. I mean, I gave a speech to the Conservative Party conference, but how that happened was because, so I wrote that book that you're talking about. And then I wrote a blog. And before that, you know, I was just writing a little diary of the kinds of things that would happen to me. Mm. And then I went to a party one evening and this guy who I met said, Oh, I wrote about, I'd done something. He said, Oh, there was something on the radio. And he said, I wrote about it on my blog. And I said, what's a blog? Cause I didn't know. And this is ages ago, obviously blogs, everybody knows what they are now, but in those days, nobody knew. And, um, he showed me his blog. And I said, oh, this is really interesting. I could write a, a blog about mm-hmm. education. And um, instead of my, writing my little diary, you know. So I started writing this blog, which was called To Miss With Love, uh, like To Sir With Love. Um, and I called myself Miss Snuffleupagus because um, of Snuffleupagus in Sesame Street. I don't know if you know. No, what's that? So, uh, right. <laughs> so Big Bird one of the characters in Sesame Street is this massive yellow bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's much taller than me. And he's friends with Snuffleupagus. And Snuffleupagus is this big mammoth elephant yeah, character. Uh-huh. And um, he is huge. And the point about him is that he's this massive mammoth. But whenever any of the kids and so on come along on Sesame Street, Big Bird says, oh, I was just telling that to Snuffleupagus. 
and Staphylococcus is never there. Okay. And nobody believes Big Bird that Staphylococcus oh. exists because well, nobody ever sees him apart from Big Bird. And so the whole thing about the elephant in the room, and that's why I called myself uh, Miss Snuffleupagus. And that eventually over time got turned to Miss Snuffy. And I'm still Miss Snuffy on Twitter. If you look at my handle, that's why I'm, uh, that's my name, Miss Snuffy. <laughs> and which is always slightly embarrassing because, you know, I'm like around the world and people ask for my card. I'm like, oh, here you go. I'm Miss Snuffy. You know, it's <laughs> a story. Don't worry. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I can't, but I can't really tell them the story. So anyway, I mean, people just have to look at me and think I'm a bit weird. Um, but yeah, so that's where Miss Snuffy came from. But in the day, so when I started this blog, there was no Twitter. Mm-hmm. And the only way in which people, and it was quite, the, the whole blog world was really young. So in terms of educational blogs, there was only Andrew Old and me who were out there. And that was it. And Andrew and Old and I didn't know who the other one was. Um, I remember the first time. So this is in like 2006 or something, right? The first time I met Andrew was, um, it must have been 2011, maybe. Um at Wellington College, you know, they have a festival of education that they do there. Yeah. And I knew he was going and, um, and it was so exciting. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe we're going to meet Andrew Old, you know, because for years we had known each other in the blog world. Mm. And there was a real sense of, well, you can't let people know who you are because the things that he and I were saying were so controversial, mm. you couldn't allow your name to get out there. So, um, and I was writing this anonymous blog. And I would essentially write about things that would happen at school. You know, little Johnny got his money stolen today, isn't it awful? That type of thing. And what I didn't know was that at the time, there were various people reading my blog, like Toby Young or Michael Gove or uh, Boris Johnson. I didn't know these people. I mean, obviously, I didn't know. How would I know, right? I mean, various people were reading it. Mm -hmm. Didn't really take much notice. But people used to have conversations on uh, blogs because that's how there was no Twitter. Mm -hmm. So the conversations would happen on the blog itself uh, in the comment section. And this is where, this is how I ended up at the Conservative Party conference because uh, I was a kind of normal left-wing teacher um, and I would write these blog posts and these kind of liberals would come on and be very critical of what I was saying. And I'd be saying, no, you know, I'm on your side. We're the same, you and me. And they'd be saying, no, you're a real conservative. And I'd be saying, no, 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 I'm not. I'm a good person. I mean, obviously, I'm not conservative. I'm, re- I'm a good person. I'm working as a teacher. Yeah. I- I'm like you. And, um, and then what was funny was that the right-wingers would come on and say, uh, well, I think you'll find you are conservative, actually. And I would argue with them and say, I'm obviously not conservative. And this would go on for months or years. This Mm. took ages, right? And gradually over time, I came to realize that I was agreeing with everything the conservatives were saying on my blog. And I was disagreeing with everything that the left-wingers were saying on the blog. And so I then thought, well, maybe I just am conservative. <laughs> this is what I thought, you know. And um, and this took a long time for me to kind of deal with emotionally. Because honestly, as far as I was concerned, conservatives were bad people. So how could I be a bad person? I was out there trying to change the lives of children who were poor. Well, how, uh, how could this be? Um, and then, of course, I came gradually to the understanding, which I understand now, which is that conservatives are not bad people. Um, they just value different things. Um, and the things that I valued were the same as what conservatives value. Uh, and it took me a long time to understand what that meant. Um, and so what are those things? You know, we value uh, personal responsibility. We value uh, the idea of persevering when things get tough. We value not making yourself into a victim and uh, blaming everybody else, but thinking, okay, what can I do about it to make my life better? Um, we value you know, I was talking to somebody earlier and I was trying to explain how, uh, Jonathan Haidt is really good about this. Uh, Jonathan Haidt has written the righteous mind. Uh, and he's done loads of podcasts and things, well, pod, but things and videos and stuff you can watch where he tries to explain, uh, he's American. He tries to explain the kind of difference, uh, to liberals. He's talking, he's talking to left-wingers and he's saying, look, conservatives are not evil. <laughs> conservatives just think differently. Um, and, 
if you open your mind up enough to just try and understand what it is, how they think differently, then you'll come to realize they just value different things. And um, so, for instance, I was once at, um, and this was a conservative event, actually, and they were in a, the back of a church and they were, they were drinking champagne. They were celebrating them. I can't remember exactly. And um, I went along and there were gravestones where they were standing and everyone was standing on top of the gravestone. And I was horrified. And I was saying, you can't stand on gravestones. You know, you all are meant to be conservative and you're standing on gravestones, is what I was saying. And there's no way I can really explain that. My values tell me that it's wrong to stand on gravestones. Now, a um, person who leans more to the left would think, what's wrong with standing on gravestones? <laughs> Whereas I think, oh my goodness, this is really, this is really awful. You yeah. can't do that. So... And, and that's, it's just about seeing the world differently, you know, and it doesn't mean that that person's bad or this person's good or whatever. It just means, uh, you see the world differently. Um, an interesting example that you give, I suppose one thing that is quite useful there is the fact that you saw these people standing on gravestones and you had an emotional reaction. Mm. And so then your thoughts are being influenced by your emotions. Mm. And I think that what you're describing around you know, oh, I'm left-wing, I'm conservative, and, and, you know, well, you just need to understand each other a bit more. It, you know, it can be difficult because people get into an emotional place before mm. before they're, they're willing or able to have that connection, and that prevents mm. connection because you're less, less, you know, less able to empathize, and, and as a result, then you're, you're being more combative and you kind of enter into this vicious cycle of yeah. not particularly productive conversation. Well, if you've already labeled the other person as being evil, mm. then it's impossible to have a productive conversation. Mm. And that is, uh, unfortunately, uh, sometimes the way. Um, and it doesn't really matter what the other person does. I mean, what I often say to people when they're saying to me that I'm evil, I always say, okay, so what is it that you've done with your life to make the world a better place? Because I've spent the last 25 years working on the front line <laughs> um, with uh, children from challenging backgrounds in order to change their lives. So tell me what you've spent the last 25 years doing, because I can detail down to every moment. You know, when I'm in school every day at 6.15. Luckily, I've been keeping a blog. Well, I mean, exactly. Every day I'm in school at 6.15. Mm. I'm working day and night, you know, and I've been doing this for 25 years. So what have you been doing? You tell mm. me. <laughs> because, um, because uh, and, and often they can't really say anything. That's you a know? powerful reflective question, isn't it? Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, judge me by what I do, you know. Mm. it's interesting because i'm just remembering back to something you said earlier about um you drew a kind of dichotomy between traditionalists and progressives in terms of education and i i mean i i'm more i'm more into psychology now and less into education in terms of my my knowledge but i do i do see it on twitter and i just wonder how how beneficial those labels are in terms of actually listening to the the views and the practice that, that people are talking about I don't know if you have a view on that. Well, you know, as I say, these are very general terms. I mm. said it when I introduced yeah, yeah, the terms true. at the beginning. Um, but there is, there is definitely a divide. There is, there's a reason why those words exist. Um, it helps because some people might say, well, I'm a bit, tra I'm more traditionalist in this way with regard to my teaching, but I'm more progressive when it comes to the behavior. What well, you know, you, you can then uh, give some definition to uh, explain your views on things. Mm. So I don't, I, I don't think that's harmful. I think what you're saying is, um, you know, the kind of constant uh, cattiness that goes on on Twitter isn't helpful. But I don't think that has to do with the labels. That has to do with the people who are participating in the cattiness. Mm. <laughs> um, I try not to participate in it. I leave it alone. Um, I mean, I'll be clear about what I think. But uh, often I'll say... Because Twitter isn't a place to have conversations, you know? Well, it's, yeah, it's quite limited by its character. Really? Character. I mean, it's impossible. And, and not only that, but if you're typing stuff out, it's not the same as trying to explain in person. Mm. You don't hear nuance and subtlety. It's very hard to have a proper conversation. So I will often say to people, look, there's not much. We can't have this. One day we'll meet mm -hmm. and we can have this conversation. But right now, there's not much else. There's not much else to be said. Um, I do think it's a great um avenue for it's a great vehicle for um uh getting ideas out there so commenting and saying so what i see twitter as a as a way of 
just saying, hey, this is what I think. Uh, and, and, and I hope that, that some people, they think, oh, I never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Or, I, or I tweet out an article or tweet out a speech or, a, or a, anything, really. I mean, I, I, I'll retweet other people's tweets and I'll say, well, this is what we would think here at Michaela or this is what I think about it. Um, um, and it, it just gets just gets the word out there mm. and, I, and i think that, i think it's really useful from that point of view yeah for sure and some of the best conversations i've had with my friends about important stuff i suppose discussions debates have actually been whatsapp voice notes because you, you have the richness but you can't talk over each other mm. there's that it, it, it kind of almost enforces turn taking yeah um, without the limitation of uh having to frantically type out you know yes yes um, that's true that's just the kind of personal side. You talked about being on the front lines like 25 years. And when you care about something, especially it can be tiring and, and draining. I suppose I'm curious what you do to kind of look after yourself. I go to the gym. I've been doing body pump for some 20 years. <laughs> body pump so, is such a, such a funny name. Yeah, it's great. Oh, I tell you, number one thing, if your listeners take away anything, they should take away body pump. I tell you, <laughs> it's the best thing ever. Great music. And I love it. I've been doing it for 20 years, really. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I, yeah, I go to the well, go to the cinema, whatever. I mean, I don't know. Um, the usual things that people do, theater, that kind of thing. Um, but the gym is the key thing. Look, I live and breathe education. I love it. You know, I don't see it as um, a weight on my shoulders at all. You know, what I always say to the kids is, um, you know, if you love your work, then you never work a day in your life. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like work to me. Um, I love it. I love what I do. I love, I love the kids. I love staff. I love, um, I love how schools work. I love, everything about education and I'm obsessive, you know, so it means that people who aren't in education don't necessarily like talking to me because all I want to do is talk about education. Mm. Um, yeah, I really love it. You know, if I go on holiday somewhere, I'm always looking for a school to go and visit. Mm. Um, I, um, yeah, people don't, it's interesting. You know, sometimes I'll tweet about that kind of thing or tweet about how my staff have gone to visit schools when they're on holiday. And then people respond and say, why do your staff have to go and see school? And I think, well, they don't have to. They just yeah. like it. Yeah. We just like doing this because we really like education. Mm. Um, I do feel kind of sorry for people who, who don't have that in their lives. Um, I can't imagine having to live my life doing something I didn't like doing, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I suppose I've been really lucky in that respect. When I was younger, I remember friends of mine would always say, well, you don't earn as much money as we do, Catherine, but you're certainly the happiest, you know? I don't know anybody who loves their job as much as you do. Um, yeah, I, I, I've always loved education. I just love kids. You know, I really love them. I love how they think. I love how they, I love how they point things out that you haven't really noticed. Mm-hmm. I love how they, um, I love how they depend on us to do the right thing. We always say, even when it's difficult, especially when it's difficult. You know. Um, we we teach them to do the right thing, especially when it's difficult. And they depend on us to do that for them as well. And that's where I think it's a bit sad in education because too often we let kids down because we do what's easier for us as opposed to doing what's difficult. And What do you mean by that? So we let poor behavior go, for instance. We don't really push them to their limits and expect homework to be done and that kind of thing. Mm. We allow them to make excuses for themselves because it's easier. It's easier for us as adults to allow them to make excuses because, well, who wants to be the person who says, no, 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 this isn't good enough. Come on. You need to get better at this. It's much harder to do that. It's much harder to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to have to set a detention. Much easier to say, don't worry about it. You bring it to me on Monday or mm. don't worry. You don't have to do it at all. I know it's hard for you at home. Much, much easier to, to make excuses, which is why we do it because it's the easy way out. Um, much more difficult to hold the line. Um, but if you don't hold the line, you let the kids down because they're depending on us to hold the line on a variety of things, not just behavior, the expectations on homework, expectations of dress, expectations of, of how polite they are and so on. They want us to hold them to account. They depend on us to hold them to account. We don't do it. We are letting them down um, because in the end, their lives will be much harder for it mm. because they will never learn these things as, as habits. So 
what we need to understand is um, our job as as parents and as teachers, uh, as adults in society, is to show kids the way. Uh, we need to drive the bus. They need to get on the bus with us. And we show them how to get there. So you and I take for granted that we say thank you, please and thank you, because somebody once taught us. It only becomes automatic now because we've been doing it for so long. When we were four and five and so on, we didn't do it automatically. And we would want something. And somebody said to us, no, 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 you can't have it. Not until, please, mommy. Exactly, the tone of voice, yeah. say please. Exactly. And then they say, please, here you go. Now what do you say? Uh, 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 thank you. Ah, now you can have it, right? And somebody did that over and over and over again. Until eventually, it becomes second nature. And now you and I, sitting here today, will have said please and thank you. I don't know, when you came in and all sorts, we wouldn't have thought about it, right? Because it's just normal. Um... And that's what it needs to be. That needs to be the case for everything. Uh, and sadly, I think we allow children to grow up too quickly. So we think to ourselves, by the time they get to secondary school, they're all grown up. An 11-year-old is not grown up. An 11-year-old needs the same hand-holding <laughs> that that four-year-old needs mm-hmm. on a whole variety of different uh, things. So bringing a pen to school, doing his homework, mm-hmm. um, uh, being kind to his teachers, saying thank you to the less to the teacher for the lesson. I don't know any number of different things that should just become normalized. Often are not normalized because we don't keep our standards that high, mm. and that's because keeping our standards high is hard because it requires the people holding the standards to say, "Come on, come on! I'm not letting it go. I'm keeping it high," and they have to they have to give out the detention or they have to ring home or they have to. They have to go to great lengths and they don't want to. They'd rather feel good about themselves and take the easier route. And so they let it go. And then the child never learns to make a habit of Mm -hmm. saying please and thank you or uh, being kind to his friends or um, doing his homework. Uh, And then in the end, he becomes an adult who hasn't habitualized those uh, characteristics and actions that you and I take for granted. Mm. And often it is the poorest of our society who are most affected by the low expectations that uh, some people can impose on, on, on them. Um, and those people who are imposing the low expectations believe that they are doing what's right by children when in fact they're doing them great harm. Um, and that's really sad. And what's even more sad is that those people fight to keep the system that way. They want mm-hmm. those expectations to be kept low. Um, and they fight people like me who are trying to keep them high. Um, yeah. yeah. It's a really interesting way of framing it. I think that I see quite often situations, you know, within families where the parents might have avoided a certain conversation or not articulated something in an in a, a honest or kind of appropriate way and actually years later it's caused untold exactly uh, Exactly. misery and trauma exactly Um, and you know i'm just i'm just thinking about the way in which the brain is very lazy actually Mm -hmm. you know we use heuristics you know general general rules of thumb in our everyday life to save time Mm -hmm. um, because that's how we can respond appropriately in terms of you know response rate and why are we reluctant to not use them? It's because it takes on more energy. And so I, I wonder if that's similar to what you're describing in terms of on a day-to-day, actually, it could be quite easy to, to let go of the little things or ignore them. Mm-hmm. It takes more energy to do that. Definitely. Um, it's an under, it, it's fundamentally, it's about an understanding of human nature. It's what you just said. Mm-hmm. Human nature is such that you will take the easier way out. It's just, you know, nine times out of 10, you give a child a choice, you know, do you want to play with your video game or do you want to read this really hard book he's going to play with the video game uh just because that's human nature you take the easy way out um and it's human nature for uh those of us in the teaching profession to want to take the easy way out and not hold children to account um but in the end the irony is that it actually makes lives for teachers much more difficult (laughs) because if you don't have that consistency of behavior across the school if you don't have that consistency with regard to the teaching either, and I don't mean all the teachers are the same, but there, there are certain consistent routines that happen. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, children um, 
children are unable to feel comfortable and they're unable to buy into uh, what what the place is about. You know, it's interesting. I had um, an interview candidate in today and she was explaining to me about how her school is is really great on the behavior and so on, has great behavior systems. But the big difference that she saw between here and her school was that uh, the kids are really bought in here, that they um, really believe in the school and they believe in the systems of discipline mm. and they appreciate it. But you'll even get kids at lunch when they stand up to give their appreciations publicly. Sometimes you'll hear them say, I want to thank Mr. So-and-so for giving me a detention, you know, which sounds really weird to outsiders, but it's because our kids get it. Mm. Our kids get that I like going to a super strict school because I get to learn. And I like the fact that my teacher gave me a detention because I'm going to be a better person for it. And that's something that we narrate constantly with them and explain to them. So they understand that we're on their side um, and that we love them and that that's why we're giving them a punishment. It's because we love them. Because if we didn't love you and we only loved ourselves, then we would do what was easier for us. Mm. We're doing what's hard for us precisely because we love you and we love you more than we love ourselves. That, that's, that is the key point here. And nobody understands when it comes to those Twitter debates. Mm. And I can explain this because we're talking for a long period of time. Who can explain that in 280 characters? Impossible. So then you just get mudslinging back and forth, you know, you're mean and nasty. And I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. You can believe that if that's what you want. I happen to believe that actually um, it's tough love. You know, you do it because you love them. And you do it because you do what's right, even when it's difficult, especially when it's difficult. And I'll keep doing what's right in the face of all of you lot telling me that I'm mean and horrible and whatever it is, because I know it's right. I know that I'm doing what's right by these kids and I'm changing their lives. Um, as are my teachers, you know, more so them than me, you know. Um, that's why we do what we do. It's and, so funny. I, I've had kind of emotional reactions to some of the words that you used. Mm-hmm. So strict, mm-hmm. one of them. Um, earlier on, you used the word obedient. Mm-hmm. I had an emotional reaction to that when I was in reception and uh, one of the clippings from the newspaper was like strict to school in country yeah. and I was like oh we're strict it's it's really interesting to notice that I I don't like those words mm-hmm. I really don't but then you follow them up with words like love and that that to me it is really interesting and then thinking about that it makes complete sense the way you where you describe it because security builds trust Mm. and you know clear expectations develop security it, it, it you know it really is if we think about attachment theory the, the basis of attachment mm. you know you have to be able to expect something from your from your caregiver um because if they let you down and there's that kind of ambiguity around what's going to happen exactly it's hard to develop that attachment exactly mm. and so the fact is if you don't have consistency across the school and if some teachers are saying are holding you to a very high standard and some teachers are not so high, then as a child, it is it makes you deeply uncomfortable because there is no routine and consistency across the school. I know with Mr. X, I've got to remember my pen, but with Miss Y, it doesn't matter so much. And with Mr. Z, he's gonna get really angry if I forget. You know, and they've got to remember all these different reactions. Yeah. Whereas at our school, it's always the same. Mm. You know, at Michaela, they know the expectation is that you have to have a pen. Um, and some people will say, well, that's just me. Well, our kids bring pens to school. <laughs> and it means that when it comes to their exams, you know, when we did our mock exams for our year 11s this year, all of us commented, all of us here commented on how smoothly it went. It was so easy. Nobody ever showed up without a pen. Nobody showed up late. Nobody showed up, you know, half asleep or what. You know, they all turned up and they did their exams. Now, it just having achieved that, you know, like <laughs> how brilliant is that? All of our kids turn up with their pens. They, they turn up ready to go. You yeah. know, like how brilliant is that? I mean, I spent my whole, my whole career watching kids in their real GCSE exams and you show up without a pen, watching teachers go to their houses to drag them out of their houses, to get them in, to do an exam. In what way, like something's gone deeply wrong. If after 12 years of education, you were then sat there, <laughs> you know, in your house and you've got your final GCSE exam and you can't be bothered to get out of bed and go into school. 
Something's wrong, right? Um, we have failed you as a society. The society has failed you and the school has failed you. Um, it's our job to do what's difficult as adults with kids. And, um, and you see, when you see the success, you know, when you see the success of those methods, then you know what you're doing is right. Mm -hmm. You know, the lives we've changed here, the kids who've been excluded permanently from other schools who've come here, um, and transformed the kids who have, um, come from primary school and the primary schools have said this child's a terror and they're awful and so on. And they come here and they get detentions, but they're generally kind of okay. You know, mm -hmm. they, when I think about those kids and how their lives are transformed, and not just those ones, the quiet ones, the shy ones, the ones who would normally get bullied, the ones who would normally be terrified coming to school, who are happy here mm -hmm. and, 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 and are able to really blossom, hold their hands up high in their lessons, you know? You must, at the end of this, we must get you on a tour, actually, because mm. you must see the school and yeah, see the I'd lessons and so on. Um, uh, because I always say it's a sight to behold. You know, yeah. every time I go around, I always think, like I said earlier, I can't believe it. I can't believe all these kids and their lessons and they're all learning and mm. engaged and looking at the front and the teacher is talking and it's just, it's like a marvelous thing. I mean, and um, yeah, it's really exciting. Um, for, for me, it, it, it reminds me of some some themes that came out of my doctoral research around once you start to see evidence of positive change, yeah, you are able to start to change the story that you tell about yourself, mm -hmm. and that and that kind of further catalyzes the momentum, and then you enter into this kind of virtuous cycle. Right, um, but of course, you need some kind of rigidity of, of expectation there before you before you are kind of able to see that positive evidence of, of change. Yeah. Um, I suppose just before we finish up, you you mentioned a few times about how hard it is to do the right thing. And, you know, and I I certainly empathize with that in terms of the effort. And I suppose I'm curious how you maintain or facilitate the energy of the staff at the school in terms of, you know, acknowledging that they're putting in all of that extra effort and making a hard decision. How, how do you kind of support that? Well, I mean, we do all sorts of things with our staff. We, we use timetables. We give a two-week half term. We start every half term with an inset day. We finish with a half day. Um, we, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's just off the top of my head. There's a whole bunch of things. And the big thing is that I'm always weighing up when I make a decision on something, effort versus impact. So even when the staff themselves come up with ideas, I might say, no, I don't think it's a good idea because it's going to take up too much energy and time. And, mm. you know, you might kill yourself doing this. Mm. So uh, too often in schools, I think um, decisions are always made. Oh, that's a nice idea. Oh, that's a nice idea. You know, my governors say to me, oh, it'd be great to do a bake sale. And I say, wonderful. When are you coming in to do it? Because my staff aren't going to be doing it because they have too much else to do, mm. you know? Um, it's, it's, it's always very easy to just keep piling things on teachers. So we work hard, but the work that we do is always, um, it's always for something. You'll always see impact. You won't find yourself just doing work for the whim of some deputy head who's doing a little project because he wants to do it. That doesn't happen here. Mm -hmm. There's always a purpose um, and you will always see the impact. So, uh, from in that respect, that's what we do. Um, I speak to staff every Monday. We do um, CPD, Continuing Professional Development, where we talk about various issues and things. And uh, so I direct, you know, the, the school. I very much lead from the from the top. You're the um, bus driver. I'm the bus driver. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so they hear from me all the time. I also give assembly um, every, every day at school to a different year group. So I see every year group uh, once a week. Uh, but I, so I'm talking, I'm doing assembly every single day. Mm. And that means the whole school is hearing from me constantly. Uh, and also on a Monday, as I say, when we meet as a staff, I do briefing in the Monday morning and then Monday afternoon, we mm. do a session. I also do a session with all the new staff who've joined that September on the Tuesday. We have a chat after school again. So I, I, I do very much lead hands-on in that sense, but I lead hands-on. But in, from from the back, I kind of say, and what I mean by that is that I don't march around deliberately because I want to give space for staff to be able to grow and fill the spaces in the school. Um, 
uh, once a uh, year seven, he, I sat down with lunch for lunch with him and he said, um, he said, are you the headmistress then? And I said, yes. He said, oh, you don't seem like the headmistress. And I said, well, do you say that because I'm, I'm not out in the yard strutting my stuff and out there saying, come on, everybody, etc." He said, yeah, yeah, you don't seem like the headmistress. And I said, I can see why you think that, but trust me, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and I like that. I like the fact that he didn't really kind of, I mean, obviously they know I'm the headmistress, but, you know, I'm not, in, I'm not out there all the time. You know, uh, my deputies are, um, and, and they're very much hands-on all the time. Um, and, you know, I'll kind of, I'll be around, but I'm not, I don't want to fill the okay. space. You know, I think people often think I do mm. because I'm quite outspoken when I'm on Twitter or wherever mm. and conferences and so on. People assume that I'm kind of everywhere in the school and I really am not. Mm. Um, it kind of runs without me and yeah, I want yeah. it to run without me, really. I, I, I think that's a, I think it's an important uh, point about leadership, actually. You want the thing that you create to be able to run without you. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a great point. So where can people find you? If they want to get in touch with you. In here, in my office. So there's an open door. People come in here all the time. Or, I mean, they tend to email and I'll email back and then they'll pop in. You know, so they'll say, are you free now? And then they've come in. Mm. Um, and then I always have, you see these chocolates, all these chocolates and chocolate biscuits. and There are water many, and many treats. Yes, yeah. exactly. They're there for delivery. I'm always saying to people, come and see me. There's uh-huh. chocolate. <laughs> so people come in and get chocolates. Sometimes mm. they come in and grab a chocolate and run out. They didn't even <laughs> want to see me. <laughs> I don't even want to see. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, and it's quite easy to see me in that sense. Okay. It's really easy. You know, uh, you, you don't book in and two weeks later come and meet right. me. You know, you want to see me today, you see me today. Cool. Um, it, it, it is very much an open door. Um, okay. uh, and I do that deliberately. I always say that I'm here for the staff, uh, not for the kids. And mm. that sounds really cold, but it's precisely because I'm ultimately here for the kids that I'm then here for the staff. Because the staff are the ones who are here for the kids every day. You know, they're the ones who are with them all the time. And if I'm not here for the staff and if I'm not looking out for the staff, mm. then that means if I'm, if I'm looking out for the kids too all the time and always concentrating on them and not on the staff, then that means nobody's looking after the staff. Mm. Yeah, I hear that. So have you got any recommendations for listeners, books, blogs? Um, books. Uh, Robert Peel's book, mind you, I don't know if it's, if it's in print anymore, progressively worse. He just tracks, uh, education in Britain, uh, historically, which is really interesting. Uh, so yeah, Robert Peel's, uh, progressively worse. Um, what else would I say? Um, well, there's our book, of course, of course, but I would take it with a pinch of salt. Um, battling the tiger teachers, uh, I take it with a pinch of salt because, you know, some things have changed since we wrote that book. Um, but maybe we'll come out with a second Sorry, book. For volume two, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and correct some of those things. Um, what else? I don't know. Uh, oh, I'm looking at um, the writing revolution here, uh, which I myself have only looked at briefly, but I know uh, much of what we do here is, is based on many of the ideas in the writing revolution. Uh, so if you're an English teacher, mm-hmm. that's something to, to have a look at. Um and, uh, oh, and Teach Like a Champion I'm seeing over there on my bookshelf. Uh, of course, a lot of the routines that we use here are from Teach Like a Champion, but all your teachers would know of that um, as a book to read. And, um, yeah, uh, I like, you'll see my quotation up there from Thomas Sowell. He's an African-American um, economist, but he writes loads. And uh, the quote up there says, when you want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. Mm. Uh, and it, it's what I said about doing what's difficult. You know, it, it's much easier to tell people what they want to hear than it is to tell them the truth. Um, and I live by that. You know, it gets yeah. me into a lot of trouble, but I live by it. So um, I would recommend anything written by Thomas Sell. Strong. <laughs> and so if people are going to tweet nicely, they can find you at Miss Snuffy. Yes, so Miss Snuffy with a underscore in between the Miss and the Snuffy. They can find me at Miss Snuffy. Um, yeah, but they do need to tweet nicely. <laughs> so, so good to talk to Catherine today. And I really hope you enjoyed the conversation. I would be really interested to hear what you thought. So you can tweet nicely uh, to both of us 
um, using the details included in the show notes. And I would really appreciate it if you share the episode with people who you think would find it useful and subscribe to The Sizzle to help keep this thing growing. Sizzle.